Power Electronics – Navigating the Challenges and Seizing the Opportunities Dear audience, my name is Ludmila Der. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Whether at live events or in the digital world, we bring together cool promising tech startups with exciting innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets. Get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing to you two amazing guests on our premium panel and both are absolute experts in the topic of power electronics. Let's start with somebody who you as loyal audience already know. Dr. Tamara Bakst, a CEO at VisIC Technologies. VisIC Technologies is Israeli scale-up company that was founded in 2010 to be a technology licensor and provider of high-voltage, high-volume gallium nitride devices to the rapidly growing power conversion market. Tamara, you have your background in physics, where you also finished your PhD. Who wants to know more about this strong and inspiring woman? I absolutely advise you to listen to the fifth episode that we released long ago in 2020, where Tamara shares a lot of interesting, authentic and motivating stories about the company, but also about life. Our second guest today is Dr. Christian Wachtendorf as head of power electronics hardware development at Volkswagen. Christian, you have your background just like Tamara in physics, where you also made your PhD. After your PhD and before joining Volkswagen, which was almost five years ago, you were at Bosch in various positions, which means you know also the tier one perspective very, very well. And now let's dive into our panel discussion, power electronics, navigating the challenges and seizing the opportunities. Let's start our panel with a look into the past, let's say five years ago. So Tamara, five years ago, VisIC Technologies was eight years old. Where did you stand technologically at that time and where were your challenges? So five years ago, it had been 2018. And I remember that we just got good performance for our 22 milliohm gallium nitride that satisfied our CTO. And we sent out our first prototypes to our customers. I remember we got by end of 18 test reports from our customers, which had been, to my even somewhat surprise, all in superlative terms related to power level and robustness of our devices, of our gallium nitrate. And the challenge had been, because we already decided at that time to go for automotive, it had not been as today purely, mostly inverters. And the challenge had been to focus and understand what customers are really need, what is the best trade-off in gallium nitrate design to deliver the best value for customers for automotive to make the car better. How can we realize these trade-offs? Basically, when you made the decision to go for the automotive market or not, you were not in automotive market at all. You started from zero, basically. Is that correct? Correct. 
And now when, when we see, let's say, also the trend and the involving, and when we look at the numbers, so what is the percentage how you are positioned now in the automotive industry? Percentage in terms of... How you divide your markets. We are 100% automotive. As of today, we do not have active customers, I think, which are not automotive. We are actively pursuing automotive customers. And I think that majority is going for segment of inverters. We will basically deepen that a little bit when we will talk about also collaborations and tier ones and tier twos, etc. But let's first see the view from Christian as well. So Christian, for you, it was more or less exactly the time when you started at Volkswagen. So five years ago. What did the power electronic landscape at Volkswagen look like back then? So what were your biggest challenges? Yeah, that's right. So I started at Volkswagen five years ago in 2018, before I was with Bosch. Yeah, I would say EV business was a lot different then. To give an example, Tesla had total sales of 100,000 vehicles then in 2017. And in typical car sales, they were usually below 50,000 per year. And to compare that with the Volkswagen Golf, it sold more than 700,000 a year then. And then came the Volkswagen MEV platform. Suddenly, we talked about millions of EVs. And this was, to me, it was truly a game changer, at least in Germany. And I think also a big leap forward towards affordable e-mobility. That was the time where I decided to join Volkswagen because I felt this is consistent and there's a huge potential. And after I changed, and nevertheless, for Volkswagen and for my team, it was a real challenge. Up till then, Volkswagen had only one power electronics unit, so fitting to electric golf, electric up, and the, the plugins. And the major challenge then was this extreme portfolio widening with introducing the MBB, so up to four power electronics units within one and a half years, which means a strong expansion also in product development. And this was also a challenge for our partners. Uh, so, we, but with strong efforts, we managed these projects and it also intensified the partnership with our suppliers. And this was also key in order to cope with it. So, yeah, only within five, the last five years, one can see an impressive change in the sales figures and the awareness of electric vehicles. And I'm, yeah, I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to be part of it. Actually, it's a little bit unusual because in the beginning, I usually ask more technical questions, but you mentioned it so nicely that the topic of affordable mobility and the ability to support that somehow stood out to you. So was that really, or is that the motivation behind it? So to be, let's say, one of the leading parts in that affordable mobility, because not everyone does it. I mean, Tesla started from premium vehicles, etc. A lot of other players also start from premium vehicles. Volkswagen does it differently. So is that something that really motivates you to be one of the changing decision makers there and doing things differently? Definitely. Yes, because electric mobility only makes sense if you make it affordable to a large portion of people. And this is something this, which is a clear goal of Volkswagen. I mean, the ID2 has been introduced and it has been announced that the price should be around 25,000 euro. I think this is a strong commitment to to put the brand there in order to uh, yeah to, to fulfill this this goal yeah absolutely i mean we see definitely that still as a gap in the market so that affordable evs are still not so much available no? so but yes there are also new players from china coming so let's see what what will be happening so now let's go a bit deeper in the topic of collaborations and especially 
or the way how you work usually as OEMs, but also as tier two company, which we can name with IC Technologies is a tier two company or deep tech company. Tamara, according to media and statements in technical conferences, we see kind of trend throughout the industry that OEM tend to work less and less with the tier one companies. Of course, we will clarify that in the panel if it's that, let's say, correct, and, and we will do that in one moment. But in principle, with IC Technologies as a tier two company, do you really notice that more and more OEMs looked for direct collaboration with you and don't go via the tier one companies as they used to do? That's a very good question, I think. Indeed, in media, we can see much more said about OEMs moving forward. And yes, media is never lies. A little bit exaggerating, probably. Indeed, as you noticed, probably even General Motors invested $600 million plus in lithium mines. So it is happening. From our side, I would say the answer is yes and no. Yes, that OEMs are moving in a direct contact with us, with down-the-line companies, they want to know much more, understand about uh, semiconductors because semiconductors today are defining core value of the car. That's a propulsion powertrain, acceleration, power, driving range, and it is a normal way. We are working in collaboration with uh, car makers. No, it is because in majority of cases, it's not eliminating tier ones, not going around and car makers involving tier ones in this or that way. And I can see that main, there are few reasons for car makers, for OEMs to work in close collaboration in semiconductor company like ours. This is better definition of a car, understanding of trade-offs of gallium nitrate products what can be done and thus better design of a car. Second is a learning curve, understanding of reality of timeline and ways to work. In some cases, it is even specific definition of semiconductor product tailored for specific cars, also in a target to make the cars better for market. And the majority of these activities are not excluding tier one. They are somehow bringing and closing the loop. So basically, once again, we learn media are not telling us the truth. <laughs> so in the end, it's a little bit of both. No? So it depends on, on the particular situation. So, And Christian, now... Of course, based on our preliminary conversation as preparation, let's say, for this panel, I know that there are some recent changes at Volkswagen. So you will now be developing your own systems, much more in-house. That's a trend for you. And how exactly should one imagine that? So, And to what extent will you reduce the work with the T1 suppliers? Yeah, there was a major change. In the past, Volkswagen purchased whole traction inverter systems and Last year, we unified all the competencies for inverter development throughout the group. That means we combined all the development teams of Audi, Volkswagen, group components, and carried and grow from that. So we do now the, do the development of the system and especially of the software in-house. 
we do the design in-house as well as the layout and, and we do the purchasing still uh, on subcomponent level now. So all in all, I would say we, we take over the role a tier one had so far. So that's a major change. And yeah, we did, decided to do this it, it, to reach overall cost and efficiency optimum in the electrical powertrain. And we are now developing the battery inverter and the e-motor in-house. And uh, yeah, to reach that, we have a stepwise approach uh, because we further want to increase our development depth. So first, we are focusing on the main assembly. But as a second step, uh, we will also define the semiconductor design. And we do this because we are convinced that this strategy enables us to optimize the whole powertrain, especially concerning efficiency and performance. And it allows us to develop a unified software platform based on our standardized microelectronics and to bring this innovation leaps uh, of semiconductors quickly into our products. We also think this is a great opportunity. And, and in addition, it will secure the supply of semiconductors. Then to answer your, your second question, of course, the tier one supplier business is affected. That's for sure. Yeah? But in general, I think e-mobility is a dynamic business. So we observe many different strategic approaches of OEMs, also similar than ours. So we are just one variant of different development depth, I would say. And we observe an understanding for our strategy at the tier ones. And, and we also see that their portfolio adapts to our needs. So their uh, business models change also. But, but for us, more even more important, I would say, this also gives uh, the opportunity to new partners to join us. Oh, that is a good topic. I mean, we will come to that partnerships and collaboration, my most favorite topic, definitely. But that means also your previous colleagues at Bosch, they are still friends with you, even if you are yes, like <laughs> you <have the> new <laughs> friends, uh, working less and less with them. But joking aside, what is the timeline of that decision? So how many weeks, months that decision was made? Okay, I can cannot give you an insight in our internal uh, decision processes, but it it was definitely longer than several weeks. So this is this was a major change. So you can imagine that it it has to be well assessed, and it took took its time. Yeah. But basically, so that I understand, okay, that's very recent change, basically, so that you go in this direction. So that that was important because if if it was like already months, so then we can uh, talk about, let's say, what is your experience with that and how the changes are, are going and so on and so on. So, you know, yeah, I have to say the decision has been made two years ago. And uh, since then, yeah, we did a lot of activities to build up an organization to define our products and things like that. Yeah, so. Mm -hmm. You had also to hire people or at least reorganize that. I mean, if you have more tasks to do now in-house, you need more people, correct? We need a lot more people and a good environment for our employees to work. At, that's very important or my favorite topic, I would say. The first thing is, of course, we we do a lot of recruiting. Yeah? So we, we still have to make Volkswagen known in the community because that's that's not usual that Volkswagen makes power electronics. And we really, we are really developing electronics now. And not only uh, on requirements level, like some typical OEM prejudice says. Yeah? And therefore, we started a marketing campaign called Push the Pulse. We are on fairs and conferences, have booths there. There, We increased our social media presence. And yeah, as I mentioned, we, we offer some advantages like having the three sites uh, to work at Wolfsburg, Ingolstadt and Kassel. I think we have a ge very generous home office framework. 
and with all the benefits that an established car maker offers. And of course, we already started at, uh, at universities to cooperate and to promote the jobs there. That's important. Another important thing is that it is purpose. So I think jobs in this field have an intrinsic advantage that I think that can't be overrated. That's their strong purpose. Like shaping a more environmentally friendly future is highly satisfying. And that's valid for me and I think to lots of others. Uh, and the third thing is also a very decisive feature is to create, to me at least, is to create a positive culture and an environment where people love to work at. So my, my goal is to create a high level of trust in between the team members. For example, we highly value if somebody raises a topic and experts from our team tell me that the way or the intensity, how we work together in these teams, uh, the openness, how we discuss critical issues and constructively proceed to a solution is better than they experienced in other companies they know. And this really satisfies me and motivates me at the same time, because I'm deeply convinced that such an open environment will release the best performance of the team especially of the experts. And at the same time, work is more satisfying and, and enjoying for the team members. Yeah? Mm. yeah, so I'm really convinced that we offer a highly attractive place to work at. Yeah. And actually to what we even before we started recording, uh, talk with Tamarana, so you mentioned like happiness of the people is super important. Ne? And that's again, and purpose increases happiness. Ne? So because when you do something that is really meaningful and change something and you see that change in the world is super, super highly important. And I mean, I guess you are also millennial. Ne? So when I remember your CV, so, so therefore for millennials is especially important, like working without purpose and meaning, it's, it's simply... It, it doesn't exist anymore. So, no? so, and younger generation, maybe even more. No? So let's go back to the technical challenges. Now, now it's maybe the most challenging question I will ever ask in that panel. So, so far, we never know how it will develop. So, but question to both of you. So for your very own area of influence. So what are your key technical challenges currently and how do you address them? Our current key technical challenges so probably I will start from our area of competition. So to be our current technical challenges is essentially to compete and bring better value versus silicon carbide. So I think that what we are doing today and with projects that we have, I see that inverters are divided to two big parts as 800 volt and 400 volt inverters and silicon carbide will stay in majority of 800 volt inverters. However, there are companies who are moving their 400 volt IGPTs to silicon carbide just today. Just remember Tesla, which started with 400 volt silicon carbide and stays there and has no plan to move to 800 volt. And gallium nitrate will intercept these 400 volt lines of inverters around 27, 28. And this is our major technical challenge to make it happen. It's technical, it's operational, it's logistical challenge. It is a big task for our company. What will be more challenging, the technical challenge itself or the scaling? I think they are connected. I'm looking at the company and the such a project in a holistic view. And I see that technical challenges, scaling, finding right people, building, resolving problems, which are happening all the time, 
It's one system, and it is impossible to focus on one part of the system to succeed everything. So we need to succeed in the whole project. So right products and right performance, cost and reliability must be delivered to our customers in right volume. Mm-hmm. So to sustain only one part of it is not enough. I want to add that fundamental technical challenges for, I think, at least for us, for gallium nitride products, for inverters are mostly resolved. So we are not academy, we are not pure R&D company. We had been for a long time before. And uh, our, now our technical challenges are really to deliver right product in right time, right volume, right performance. So basically the technology is there, the technology is tests that you are out of the R&D process. Basically it's production and it's scaling in simple terms. It is not production yet. Production will start close to 27. It is scaling. It is a product fit to inverters, to customer requirements. Technology is already here. So there is a always gap. So we need to, because we are not working like silicon company, which are designing products on existing technology already proven. To make our products, we needed to build technology, prove this technology, starting to build product, scale up this product to right level and fit to automotive industry. So technology had been developed. We are working now on a second generation of this technology, which is better fit to inverter products and better fit to market and requirements, scaling it up. And that's a challenge. And basically in the background, I guess a part uh, of R&D activities are still running, like third generation, etc. It's all R&D activities. Mm. So I would say pure research, yes, third generation, 1200 volt gallium nitride, well, inch gallium nitride is all running. And these chips will be later on on the market as a first prototypes and engineering sample. It is not yet pure operation on existing mm-hmm. technology. And in four years now, you said uh, 2027 uh, production is going to start. So basically, I really hope to uh, to meet you again in the next interview, you know, when, when you become already the supplier of, let's say, big OEM companies. So then we can celebrate a little bit of uh, the next step. No? Because as far as I know you, there's always the next step and the next step. <laughs> It is. Uh, we just scratching surface of gallium nitrate products, I think, exactly like we are only starting more or less electrification or transportation in this industry. And I think that in 27, I will be already able to come to the meeting in gallium nitrate power car for 28. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. Okay, we, we all heard that now and our audience uh, will also know that. So we, we, can, we will have some proof then to make. <laughs> so and now, Christian, so what are your key technical challenges for right now? Yeah, first of all, I'd like, like to say that, of course, our, our e-drives are already fun to drive. But nevertheless, I think development is continuous improvement. And uh, yeah, we think that there are still many possibilities to improve. Like, First thing that is much related to customers' experience is the efficiency and the range of, of electric vehicles. Uh, this is a, a big challenge. And as a next step, we see that, that silicon carbide will will change a lot here and because it outperforms silicon 
uh, as a as a uh, major uh, semiconductor so much. Nevertheless, it needs an, an, a redesign of the of the inverter and uh, some tricks in order to to manage it on system levels. But we definitely focus on silicon carbide in, in our primary drives. So I think we, we are well prepared for that. The second thing also important for, for customers is the charging speed. And the, also we, we, we will improve this for, for our next in our next platform, but I can't go into the details now. And overall, I think cost in general to make e-mobility more affordable is, is still a big challenge. So this needs optimization in all parts together with our suppliers, a big effort. And also the events over the last two years didn't make it easier, I have to say. But I'm convinced that we have some nice innovations on our roadmap to cope with it. And this, this will improve the product further. The good point is also, I mean, affordability will also improve because naturally by the scaling the things that you buy will be like massive uh, purchasing orders and then yeah it's of course the price will go down now so naturally but again you also need some r d activities that also make it more affordable on that now, so on the structural level so you already both mentioned that there's more than just gallium nitride around there now, so when we talk about power electronics so Now let's go a bit deeper in that direction so that we really talk about the silicon, silicon carbide, and gallium nitride. So Tamara, let's talk about your main topic of interest, and that is inverters. No? So currently the silicon carbide inverters, and as you mentioned, like there's a mix, be it 800 volt or 400 volt version, they are considered a state of the art currently. So however, when is the time of gallium nitride is coming and in which aspects Would gallium nitride already today provide solution for existing challenges? As you said, silicon carbide is indeed state-of-the-art, and many understood that it brings significantly improved value comparing to IGBT. And it isn't it will be more at 800 volt because at 800 volt silicon carbide brings better value than 400 volt. And gallium nitride will be introduced at 400 volt because gallium nitrate has a value of both reduced cost, manufacturing cost, so it can help to reduce cost of a vehicle, and lower switching losses, which are helping to increase a little bit efficiency, especially on a city drive, city cycle. So these are major value of gallium nitrate cost, and efficiency mostly in city conditions. And that's our motto that gallium nitrate is silicon carbide performance at silicon cost. Probably it's a simplification, but as a logo, it could be good simplification. That's 27, 27, 28. I think we will be able to see GAN-powered cars on the road. Uh, when it can bring today value for automotive, From our point of view, 27, it is today. Semiconductors, semiconductor development is a long way. It is probably comparing only to automotive. Uh, making power semiconductor products take time. Uh, I think it can bring today value for onboard chargers already. And the challenge here to make onboard chargers from unidirectional to bidirectional 
which is possible to make with gallium nitrate in a better way comparing to both silicon and silicon carbide devices. And these products could be on market a little bit earlier than inverters. What do you mean by a little bit earlier? So what, what is your expectation? These are hard to say because as it also depends not only on our providing the product, but also on the tier ones and car makers' investment into these systems to make product with gallium nitrate. And the value proposition of gallium nitrate in onboard charger is different than those of inverters. And it's a question of the adaptation of bidirectional chargers mostly. So it is a specific market angle and specific products, new products. Actually, we have now Christian here from an OEM side. So let's ask directly, okay, to what extent are you already working with gallium nitride in your field now? And also, let me, I mean, is that becoming increasingly relevant so that you can really jump in in the discussion and say, yes, it is, or, or maybe it doesn't, or in what way? And also, let me broaden that question a little bit. Where do you in general see the place for silicon, for silicon carbide and gallium nitride? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting topic to us. Uh, gallium nitride is definitely an interesting topic to us. <clears throat> We do observe, observe it closely. I'm really curious how fast the industrialization and the maturity will develop. Because to, as far as I know, currently the major applications of, of GAN or gallium nitride are at lower powers and lower voltages, so below 100 watts and below 100 volts. So it, it seems like there's still a way to go for, for high voltage applications in electric vehicles. And it's interesting to hear, and I, I also agree with Tamara, that onboard chargers or DC-DC converters are probably the easier applications to bring it into an electric vehicle. And I'm really looking forward to see how company, companies like this I see will improve their devices and to see when or how they can be introduced into traction inverters, definitely. And that's, that's, I think that's very important to, to assess what can be the role of, of gallium nitride. So I also see that, it's, that, that there's a big advantage or might be a potential advantage on 400 volt level compared to silicon. So that's maybe the, the biggest biggest advantage or has the biggest advantage at 400 volt for 800 volt systems i think there will be on the also on the long run silicon carbide has a big advantage naturally because of voltage with withstand voltage capabilities for gallium nitride i don't see any 1200 volt devices now that could match the requirements there so one would have to yeah build up a more complex system, uh, like a multi-level inverter or so. But nevertheless, we, we are always open to new innovations. Silicon will have a difficult role, but it might, be, it might remain interesting for secondary drives. In our all-wheel drive vehicles, we have two independent e-drive axles. One is a main drive, and if you have a, a drive that's only used as a boost drive, so it's not really contributing to your normal power consumption, then uh, silicon remains very interesting because it's, it's still the one with the lowest price. So Tamara, if you have something that you disagree with, please join the discussion. So it's an open round. So feel, feel free to, to join in. 
I am agreeing in agreement with practically all I said in this way that indeed Galunite technology is new and uh, today it is evaluated successfully by a number of car makers and moving forward uh, that indeed 1200 volt GAN chip is not existing yet. And uh, I think we are first company in Galunite Reconverters and we plan our roadmap to have some prototypes maybe in a couple of years. There is no fundamental challenges, but it's a lot of work and engineering to be done to make it. And indeed, 800-volt multi-level is better efficiency, but also much more complex. Each coin has a two sides. So these are two sides of this coin. So good, you know, because knowing your background, first of all, you are both physicists, no? So, and then knowing Christian's background uh, coming from Bosch, no? So you know exactly what challenges there are and how time-consuming and resource-consuming they are, no? So really, you can both understand that on a very different level. And actually, because it's not all just rosy and good and everything. So, Tamara, what are the common prejudices or disadvantages of gallium nitride that you are often confronted with or sometimes confronted with? So, which of these can be eliminated and which not or maybe not yet? I think that the largest mythos, relevant mythos of gallium nitride is that gallium nitride cannot deliver high power. From first principle, essentially, gallium nitride can handle two orders of magnitude higher power at given frequency, or two orders higher frequency at given power, or any mix in between. And essentially, all this higher frequency ability or higher power at lower frequency stems from much lower switching losses. And that's physics. It's fundamental hand versus MOSFET. So high electron mobility transistor versus vertical MOSFET, like we know it of IGBT, not really MOSFET, but silicon, MOSFET, silicon carbide MOSFET or IGBT transistors. And fighting against it, I'm an engineer, physicist, empirical person, so I think the best proof of pudding is in eating. Having real devices that we can show that can handle and deliver high power at a required frequency is the best way to fight with these methods at what we have today. And I do not see fundamental reasons that gallium nitrate cannot handle or high power. Rightly designed gun product can handle same power as silicon carbide or IGBT up to 1200 volt blocking volt. After that, there will be question of cost, not on performance, because we can go to software substrate or silicon carbide substrate, pay more in different on a system level, on a dial level, and raise voltage. I'm not sure it is relevant. So going back into reality plane, when we are talking about 400-volt battery or 800-volt battery, today gun can deliver all required power for 400 volt. And I think in a time frame of five years plus, 
it will be also on 800 volt as a single chip. Thank you very much, Tamara, for really being super transparent and open with this reply, because uh, basically I never believe if people say yeah, everything is just fine and no one has any prejudices against the systems, that's never true. No? So it's really good to know what is actually going on behind the scenes. And now let's look a little bit in the process for Christian, for example, at Volkswagen. So how do you choose actually the materials you are working with? So I just consider very simplified that your situation regarding the choice of materials for inverters, for example, for your future cars is totally relaxed situation. So do you, do I understand it correctly? So that you as Volkswagen, you do not care what is ultimately installed as long as all the parameters, the efficiency increases, sustainability aspects and the price are right. So Or is that too simplified view? So how do you choose your systems? No, actually, we, we do actually choose the major materials actively. Yeah, we, we do that. From the outside, it might seem like, like we don't. But even, even at the time when Volkswagen purchased inverter systems, this wasn't really the case. But maybe not all OEMs act like this. Huh? So, so that the first question is, is what is the right requirement? And in, in general, we want to challenge us and our suppliers technologically because we have ambitious goals and our products should be best in class and also the customer's experience. So we have to understand what is technologically feasible to, to define a competitive goal. And this means we have to understand the system, the bandwidth of solutions and impact of, of potential technologies or, or materials. And as we develop the inverter in-house now, we care even more about the materials. And they are definitely a major part of innovations that will come in the future besides the software. And let's say, what are the highest parameters that you measure when you decide, when you make your decision, if you are allowed to talk about that? Let's say, what are the priorities that you go like in within your checklist or something like that? Well, usually we go along according to our major requirements on system level. And then you know, like in typical systems engineering, you define what uh, what the system should be able able to do. And this is a starting point. And then, then you make recursions together with the hardware team, mechanical team, because for, from, from us, from the hardware team, for example, like, We, we, we offer new technologies. We say, okay, there's silicon carbide chips that are then in this or that uh, generation, their capabilities improve so we can improve efficiency or new gate driver, new, new, a new gate driver generation is available soon so we can use their capabilities and things like that. And so the, the system requirements also change. And we improve our products that way. So this is a typical systems engineering approach where we put the, the different different parts, the different uh, groups of the development together in order to, yeah, to define the best product. But technical requirements as the priority, let's, let's put it like this. No? So, but that's because you, you described the process like this, correct? Yes, right. Well, and, and user experience. So, of course, we we are asked how efficient can a future uh, electric drive be? Mm -hmm. What is what what can a roadmap be to to increase efficiency here? Mm -hmm. And increasing efficiency can also mean, let's say, okay, that can go along with the sustainability aspects and so on and so on and so on. I hope it does as well. Yeah. And of course, with the, it has to be in balance with cost, of course, for example, mm -hmm. yeah. and sustainability definitely is. A, It's also an important topic, yeah. 
So a challenge in itself to balance it all out and in the end having the best product possible. <laughs> and now we go in the big topic of collaborations. Yeah, we arrived at my most favorite topic of collaborations and partnerships. So Tamara, pandemic slowed down some of the projects or even made them completely impossible. However, you made your partnership with Zeta Friedrichshafen public in May 2020. So we were there in the middle of the first wave of lockdowns in Europe at that time. What can you tell us about how the collaboration looks like now at the current state? So what are the achievements that you are allowed to talk about? Indeed, this collaboration had been the first time I signed something over Teams. It had been a very interesting event with all executive present. And uh, but everyone uh, only up to waste visible. So we did not ask anyone to stand up and show how they look like. Collaboration uh, with the dev is very important for us and it is going forward as planned, successful. And since then, it's probably it triggered have the first one of the working and going into number of new collaborations with both tier ones and the car makers. And the big achievement of times for such collaboration this year is demonstration and measurement of efficiency in a WLTP cycle, LTP cycle of gallium nitrate on level of power of passenger car, actually revolving motor on a dyno test. And I presented it earlier on May at APEC conference, where we can show that in relevant conditions, gallium nitrate uh, shown efficiency above 99% and low load and very high efficiency of uh, all corner points in the load, numbers which are comparable or better with silicon carbon, which is uh, consistent with the tagline that we are working on, that is silicon carbon performance at silicon cost. I think it is uh, all uh, of essence for this. I can talk more about challenges and importance of such collaboration because building prototype of inverter, combining right controls, connecting everything to dyno system, running WLTC cycle, it is impossible to do without right collaboration, without right ecosystem of automotive industry. I would say even next, once we shown that gallium nitrate technology can deliver value to automotive systems, all ecosystem now started to be built and we are building number of collaborations around starting from raw materials and the foundries and through tier ones and the car makers, also supported by companies who are doing mechanical solutions, companies who are doing drivers, companies who are providing relevant software. So it is a new way, new level of the whole ecosystem around new technology, which enabling better cars and essentially better customer experience, final, which triggered by enabling technology, which is gallium nitrate. I can say that today, big amount of my time and time of our management is spent on building of this collaboration. And it is both, as we said, upstream, downstream, 
and the lateral collaboration to enable ecosystem. You mentioned at the very beginning of your reply that uh, this collaboration but that Afridi Safn led also to several other collaborations. So let me ask a kind of uh, tricky behind the scenes question. So actually, those other collaborations, were they somehow pushed by this visibility by collaboration with such a big T1 supplier, such as ZF Riedishafen, or were they already, let's say, building up behind the scenes, but they were just not announced? So, or was it really like a kind of advertisement push, let's say, for others? Like, okay, uh, ZF Riedishafen is doing something with, with IC, let's, let's discover what they have. It's a very good question and hard to say. I think that Finally, it is on personal connections. People are deciding, depending on many different circumstances, what is happening today uh, with silicon supply chain, the silicon carpet supply chain, also affecting decisions on collaboration with us. Obviously, our reputation to support customers is playing for this collaboration. People are talking. It is maybe strange to say, but I discovered that automotive industry is a relatively small industry as well. And at some point, everybody talks to everybody, knows everybody. It's a cute little village. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> Especially being female leader in, in that industry. I mean, that doesn't take much of time that people know you. <laughs> so I would say it is not media advertisement. Mm -hmm. So it is not built on press releases and media hype. It is more on presence and deliverables. And I have actually, because I, I mean, you do not need to brag about that, but I mean, I know how you are structured. So I know that also... Even being Israeli scale-up company, you have your representatives around the globe. You have people that are, let's say, supporting the business, the market in Germany, in US, etc., etc. So, and people like that. You know, the technical experts from the OEM side they like that that they have somebody who is maybe even from the same culture that they can talk in the same language, etc., etc. And I mean, that's something that that really builds up this kind of solid structureness of this I see. I think so. I will use the opportunity also uh, mm -hmm. for this platform and the big present media to say that if you are listening to this podcast and you think you are brilliant expert in semiconductor packaging, power electronics, or you know someone, uh, come to us. We will love you and we will provide you best environment to fulfillment and accomplishment. I love that when the guests do that, because, you know, this platform was built for exactly that, to attract the right people, to build collaboration, but also to attract talents, let's say. No? So especially if you listen to, for example, the CEO of your future company and you like that person, I mean, that goes a long way, right? So or you, you listen to Christian, for example, and you like this kind of leadership style and the open and transparent way of being and so on. So that is something that, that you really attracted to. When, when you have to work for that person, I think it helps really a lot. No? So may it help both of you so that uh, maybe some people will, will reach out to you and we will, let's say, emphasize that also in our later communication. Now, Christian, let's talk with you about collaborations. I have to quote something because in January this year, it was announced that on SEMI, I hope I pronounced that in the right way, on SEMI and Volkswagen Group started strategic collaboration on silicon carbide technology for next generation EVs with strategic agreement. That was the quote. 
So it was agreed to provide models and semiconductors that enable a complete EV traction inverter solution for Volkswagen's next generation platform family. Of course, we are not allowed to talk about technical details, what is happening behind the scenes, behind the closed doors of Volkswagen. And I will highly respect that, I promise. I always do. So, however, could you walk us through the process of how this collaboration was built and also what are the best practices, let's say, in reaching out to you and building this kind of collaboration? So how much can you share with us what was really happening behind the scenes on that collaboration? Yeah, I'm sure you understand that we cannot comment on, on details of our corporations. Uh, so what I can say is that we are working on our new platform and that we are in close contact with, with several suppliers, not only on module or, or semiconductor level, but for all relevant components, I'd say. And yeah, as a company, above all, we are striving for the best system. So also our partners have to succeed in competition. So it's the usual way how we how we finally uh, establish contracts. So it's, it still makes sense to reach out directly to you. So if somebody has a suggestion for collaboration or you would say maybe to go another way. By the way, are you the responsible person behind this collaboration that I mentioned? Or is it a neighbor department? No, but if well, if somebody reaches out to me, I will keep him in, or her in contact or bring him in contact with the right people. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the, yeah, that, that's normal. I would say we are really dependent on innovation. So we are always open for, for new suppliers and constantly looking for new innovations. And we are... Yeah, because we're convinced that it's crucial to be successful in electric mobility. And I'd advise for com- to companies to go for a direct pitch. So so then we will see what, what we can make of it. Oh, my uh, goodness. You know what you it, now created? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. So people in the well, audience, well, you of heard course. that. Reach out to Christian, pitch to him. <laughs> and he will even forward you to the right people if he's not the right person. So that, that's a dangerous situation. <laughs> now you will be <laughs> even more busy than you already are. <laughs> no, just go for it. You find my contact on LinkedIn. But of course, it has to be related to our products. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. So I'm not like, okay, I would like to have this in that collaboration with Volkswagen in any topic. Then you have a new job, right? (laughs) So, but kidding aside, Tamara, let's talk also about the many new EV manufacturers and maybe they do something differently. Let's discover them. There are many more and more, let's say, new companies in the US, in Asia, but also in Europe. And especially if they are classic startups, they don't care how it was usually done. So, What are your experiences with this kind of new companies, new players? Is the development approach really so different from the approach that was used, let's say, for the established companies? Is that really so different? Maybe you expect from me something very different, but I would say that I found that traditional large companies are the best to move forward into new technologies of propulsion, probably because we are working in an area where which requires high power, high currents, high voltages, and uh, it is not designs and computer software that could be done with uh, modern tools. It's something that requires scholar, probably. We found that work with Traditional companies or companies that are many years in the business of power electronics, at least, is the best way to success for our products. And uh, I think in this way, 
obviously there is a company who had been, I don't know, it's still startup as a Tesla. If we, if we can't count Tesla as a startup anymore. I wouldn't. <laughs> it thinks, you know, it uh, is doing things probably differently in many ways. But when we are going to power electronics, it is still aligned with many things which are done in the same way as a established companies. Mm-hmm. High power is much less forgiving area comparing to software and uh, uh, low power applications. Yeah, that was indeed a surprise, actually. I was thinking like, okay, uh, less processes, uh, less hierarchic structure, etc. would be even better for you. But you really say, okay, established processes are, let's say, the, the best tested, the, the well-known systems that really work. I'm saying that, yes, processes and probably some cutting corners, faster moving is easier with startups. But bottom line for us is a content not a process of going to this content. And create content for high-power electronics somehow is better with established companies and probably that's a reason why high-power requires experience. It's less forgiving. And it's really good to know that because uh, on your side, you come from, let's say, startup background or now scale up already. So you don't have kind of conflict of interest, you know, saying that. That's definitely the, the truth from your experience. That's really, really good. And now, Christian, a similar question to you, let's say, that goes in this direction. So when we talk about collaboration between startups and, and uh, big companies, so when, when it's done right... Working with a company as big as Volkswagen can be a dream of every startup. When it's done wrong, it can be a nightmare. And in your experience, what is the best way to get in touch with such big companies to start a collaboration? Does it make sense really to, to completely pitch directly to you or let's say to, uh, to some other technical experts and so on and so on to just... Yeah, to bring awareness to some new technical innovations in the field of power electronics. I mean, you said before that, okay, pitch, but what is the best way, let's say the fastest, more secure way, let's say, to to go in the direction of collaboration? Or what is the legitimation, let's say, of existing startup hubs that you also offer? What is your experience with that? As I mentioned before, so direct pitch is, is really the way to go. I, I'd, I'd underline that. Even though it might be a lot of work for us, but it this is the, the best way to to get in touch early and easily. Of course, what we what we see is that that some some startups they need advice and how mature or the, the maturity of their product might not might not uh, match our needs at the time, but maybe then it might be a solution or a, or a, an interesting product for a future generation or future cars. So it, it it's nevertheless worth it in order to stay stay in contact. Yeah? So we so usually if somebody contacts us, we will assess who's the right contact person, and then uh, we we assess if the offered product is matching our needs, or even surprises us, so that we have to rethink our design maybe even. And then we assess the technology and also also the the capabilities to industrialize a new technology, because. As Volkswagen, we or even as a group, we will need all products in in a large amount, uh, large large volumes. Even though for semiconductors this is only 
partly true, but in most of the of the components, this this is that's that's the case. You smiled when you said like sometimes uh, surprise you as well. So does it happen that you have sometimes like positive surprises and then you have even changes in your development? Yes, it happens. It's I'd say it's it's rare. Because there are a lot of technologies that are already introduced in, in other applications that have been made suitable for automotive, but also that's that's surprising. And yeah, when Tamara mentioned that uh, she will come with a with a uh, gun driven car in 2027, that surprised me. So <laughs> yeah, we know the timeline, we know the promise. We will come back together, so we will organize a Zoom call and then prove that, <laughs> or maybe see each other live at the conference. Now that would be the best. But now let's uh, talk a little bit about the cheap shot. Uh, let's stay, Christian, with you. So because uh, September last year, Fortune released an article about Volkswagen and they stated, I quote again, Volkswagen says the chip shortage will last past 2023 and the company is preparing for a new normal and supply chain crisis. So how do you see that in your daily work now, half a year later? How does it look like? Volkswagen has definitely been affected. You, yeah, you know that, and have, many measures have been taken for that. You know, the purchasing task force has been installed, which does, I think, an excellent job to improve the supply chain. Because uh, one, one has to imagine that in general, an, an OEM usually doesn't know the chip supplier in every component, and the other way around, the chip suppliers don't know which vehicle or or OEM they supply. And that was overcome during the last two years, and the clear transparency has been created at Volkswagen, and this this definitely helps a lot to to prevent situations like like last year. And also, the suppliers have spent a lot of effort to to improve there. We have in general addressed strategies and adapted a lot to strengthen the resilience in our supply chain, because the that. That has been a big issue to our development departments. If there's a shortage of a certain part, you have to decide quickly, can it be replaced by another part directly? Do you have to change your design? And how can this, how can this be done? So a, a lot of effort to purchasing and, and development. And, uh, but currently we see that the supply situation continuously improves. First thing, one about the number of affected parts and also about the availability and the amount of, of parts that is available. So all in all, it's good news, I'd say, that we expect that the delivery time of the IDs, uh, they go down to three months if you order now. Mm, wow, that's impressive in the industry, actually, no? So that changed, that changed a lot, yeah. For some models, it's still like uh, almost one year of delivery time. No? So that's uh, quite shocking. So therefore, yeah, three months, not bad. Or very good. <laughs> Let's say it in a very, very positive way. So. <laughs> yeah. And now for Tamara, very similar question, because I mean, you have a different view on the situation because you do come from tier two company or deep tech company. So do you still see effects of the chip shortage in your work? Or is that really like the media presenting the whole situation a bit more dramatically or more dramatically than it actually is? So what is what is true based on your own experiences? Our view is probably not a function of this shortage, because when we are working with foundry, it is... Uh, different line than silicon. So gallium nitrate had been less affected. Mm -hmm. Area where we had seen and felt these shortages 
is a project progress with our customers because just to work to operate gallium nitride uh, transistors, one need also some silicon chip surroundings, and these chips have been delayed. Uh, today we that's not talk, we do not feel it because mostly it is not talking about any volumes. We are working through later in these cycles uh, beginning of serials volumes are very low and we do not feel any shortage today so but as good. i said we are not a function here it is a different area and different aspects yeah exactly as i said before that you have a very different view on that but that's good that it's less and less relevant and now i have the next question to both of you and even yes it affects the oem side a bit more Well, since over-the-air updates were introduced, which was not that long time ago, let's say uh, September 2012, that was the first time when the over-the-air updates were done, there is kind of simplistic thinking in the industry that you can always update systems sufficiently enough if you simply update the software. So, But how far is hardware aging a realistic threat and how do you address that in your work? Christian, would you like to start? Yes, we have to address that. We observe that customers are more and more asking for updates, primarily on, on the direct user interface, like infotainment systems, I'd say. But we definitely we adapted our inverters. For us, that's a certain buffer in computing power, that, which makes sense in order to be able to, to offer new functions or, or features in the future or a higher level of security, maybe. That can be done because also our, our inverters are prepared for over-the-air updates, of course. And maybe to add another thing, finally, there's also a reliability aspect of, of hardware aging, I'd say. Yeah? And uh, our customers can be sure that, that we remain with our intense lifetime testing also with electric drive, so the components will last And are we also sure the long-term availability of spare parts? As complicated as it can be to assess that software development pace, at the, especially at the current pace. No? So it's just crazy fast. Tamara, what is your view on that? Then we are in an area which is very heavy on the, it's a hardware only. Uh, in our products, what we are supplying, it's a zero software. Uh, and uh, I think that when we are looking on inverters and power electronics and no fast updates are expected so lifetime is at least five years i think christian you please verify like eight ten years or more yeah and uh, up to 20 years because this is essentially a core of a driving car and it is completely different in perception it's also semiconductor but it's a different semiconductor You may look at this as a core infrastructure of a car. Actually, maybe we have even to evaluate that. If I may make analogy with a home, you may want to change the curtains or even uh, color of walls, but you do not change electricity or installation every few years. You want to install something high quality, very good to pay significant money for it and to use it for next 10, 15 years. But in the end, we have basically time to pass and maybe then, let's say, to look back and evaluate if that was, let's say, a, a good process to have or did the, the hardware parts really reach some kind of limitation on that? No? So we have really done to look back, but uh, for that, we have to have a bit of experience on that. 
long term because it essentially making new inverters is a big part of updating the car. I understand that today semiconductors are redefining car and we have few levels like all this power platform and after that's probably all driving chips as autonomous drive and after that is going in for timing and we are on the very basic level. We are power devices. It plays a role, but much, much less than than infotainment or other other electronics that are directly in touch with the customer or the user. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you get also requests, let's say, where people have direct connection to the direct user interface. Now you you have uh, people requesting for some updates. Therefore, now that makes sense. Now. now let's look into the future. So. A question to both of you, and I make it really without any kind of technical limitation. So which trends and innovations in the automotive industry excite you personally the most? By the way, that can really, I emphasize that again, that can really go beyond the topic of power electronics. So what are you really looking forward to? Yeah, first of all, it's power electronics. Uh, definitely, because it's a crucial part uh, to make e-mobility more affordable and technologically advanced. I'm totally convinced about that. And there are so many innovations to come, uh, like new materials we talked about, further integration, higher power, better efficiency, new software functions. So that's definitely exciting. But you were asking to, to, to mention something beyond. Of course, uh, there's, there are things... I'd like to mention that uh, I like multi-use of hardware. So I think system integration uh, on vehicle level will offer much more opportunities in the future. And I think we will see many clever solutions where uh, several compo components are combined, like sensors, to offer a new new function or new value in the car. Actually, I really loved it that, that you mentioned power electronics, you know, because... Of course, you are biased, <laughs> of course. But I mean, that's easily forgiven because you have so much enthusiasm for that topic and it's, it's really visible. <laughs> Tomara is also smiling. You know, when you, when you talk about that, it's like the eyes are lighting up and so on. So it's really, really cool. So Tamara, what is it for you? I think I will go again unexpected. For me, on a car is personally autonomous drive. I dream when I can get in a car and deal with what I am dealing with read a book, uh, work probably, catch up emails, talk with someone and not participate in driving. And uh, professionally, it's also, also related to power electronics because all of these autonomous centralized drive chips related to artificial intelligence are needed to be powered. People are talking today about autonomous drive, but they forget that it is heavy on electricity. All these processing steps require a lot of electricity. And that's, again, new power electronics that needed to be added. And because it is heavy on electricity, these power electronics need to be very high efficiency, high efficient. And that's where I am very much biased and excited. So I'm looking forward both on a personal level of my convenience on a professional level because these are new challenges for power electronics inside the car and uh, i am both 
euros and they challenged how to resolve it. And actually, I forgive you both, you know, being biased in that way. So because the enthusiasm that you bring with that, it's it's just amazing. You know, it's so contagious to see like everyone is smiling and, and really, really looking forward to to bring some changes. So really nice. Looking forward to that. Now, again, a question to both of you. So if you really ignore the type of powertrain of a car, if you don't care, let's say, is that combustion engine car, is the TV, etc., hybrid, whatever is, was around there. No? So we can't disagree that cars changed a lot in the past year. So basically cars are now computers on wheels and the complexity is only increasing year by year and month by month, actually. So that means also that the people that you need to develop those products and in the end, the final products as well, they need to have completely different skill sets than they used to have before. No? So Do you feel this lack of qualified professionals? And if so, what is your strategy to win the battle, to recruit the best, and also to be able to transform the skills of the own employees that you already have? How do we do that? So Christian, maybe you would like to start? So first of all, we put a strong effort on, on transformation. For example, Volkswagen transforms its biggest transmission plant in Europe, in Kassel, to a center of electric drives. And also Volkswagen initiated many programs to qualify colleagues from combustion engine production and engineering for e-drive components. And that's a, a crucial task and uh, very important to Volkswagen and reflects the responsibility for its employees. I, I appreciate that very much and like it very much. And uh, as I mentioned before, We are a new topic within the Volkswagen world. So we, we have many approaches on recruiting. I think we have a very, very attractive working environment. We, we have purpose. We talked about culture. I don't repeat that. But uh, yeah, I think it, all in all, we are absolutely convinced to have an attractive place to work. Yeah. I can summarize that purpose and meaning. <laughs> that was actually the core of it. No? So yeah. And Tamara, what is your take on that? It is definitely a challenge. And power electronics, good engineers are, it's not a very big pull from a start. And we are competing with many companies now for this uh, workforce. For us, it is a few. First, we are a small company and we can be very flexible. We cultivate a family surrounding and uh, really looking on a people, on a person that had been, uh, I think, big pull. We had been lucky to add great people during last year from big corporations also who came to us because they want to be visible as a persons who made an impact, who are heard as a person and not just as an employee bringing value. On additional level, we love students. We hire students who are making first degree, second degree, PhD, we also sponsoring education and kind of growing right specialists from a students inside the company. And the third one, we practice meritocracy. So employee could be young, could be probably less educated, but on a very high level of ability to think, of autodidact, ability to self-educate, and we promote this value. So we promote on level of merits, and not on level of years or education. So we are not limited like like big corporation by very strict HR rules. That's what we are employing when we are growing and trying to scale up. What I take from that with me, let's say a lot of 
self-responsibility on the employers to self-learn, self-educate, and you are, let's say, always the supportive system behind that development. Really, really impressive. So now we finished the technical part of our discussion and Tamara has already been a guest in our podcast in the, at that time, fifth podcast episode. So she already knows our tradition. So, well, at the end of each podcast, I ask questions about personal development, about leadership, about life wisdom. So a question to both of you. It's really no secret that the automotive industry is in the midst of its biggest shift ever. So was there a time in your career when you doubted your previously robust skill sets? And if so, what are your lessons learned on how to keep learning and developing, not in the beginning, but in already advanced career? Tamara, would you like to start to answer this question? I think it is this is a situation I am facing regularly in my life. It also dictated when I changed the country, when I changed the culture, when I changed the profession, starting as a, from physics to engineering to CEO. And being CEO is also requires very different skill set and different stages of a company. At the very beginning of a company, when we are few people, uh, it is requires a lot of hands-on and promotion. When we are growing larger, it is much more on delegation level and the combining. When we are getting even larger, these are negotiating skills and the building organization, aligning this organization. At some point, it is conflict management, it's HR promotion, And I can say probably it is for any C-level executive meeting. Oh, it's very humbling experience. So regularly, at least I found that I am meeting events which prove me that my previous skill set is not good enough. And uh, what to do in this situation, I have my favorite citation of one Voltaire that uh, sustainable thinking can resolve any problems. So meeting some missing skill set, I resolve to this thinking what should be done, depending on results, consult and apply what needed to be done in the next phase. But is it always like, what do you need to learn? Or is it more about hiring people or asking people for consultancy in this particular topic? Or do you prefer really like to learn almost everything that you need by yourself? Oh, that's impossible. I think that time for one super talented individuals are finished about at the time of Lord Cavendish, who had been this super talented individual. Today, most advances in this world are done by multidisciplinary group of people. And place of executive is to help to this group, to facilitate this group, to serve this group, to make contributors shine, forget about everyday hustles and do what they love to do what they can mm -hmm. do the best. And depending on stage of company and depending on the world changing, this facilitating the group requires different skills. And these skills, sometimes I need to learn and sometimes I'm bringing from outside. It's a good balance, let's say, to decide, okay, what exactly do you need yourself and what exactly or where you can find the suitable expert to, uh, to trust their opinion. 
always good to have great experts to trust as a sparring partner and to test my own ideas. Christian, what is it for you? So have you ever found yourself in this uh, similar situation, let's say, and how you handle that? Yes, there are definitely several situations, but I just pick one. And But besides, I think one should question your own skill set on a regular basis anyway. So for me, that particular situation was when I was changing company and, and residence when I came to Volkswagen. Then I, I experienced a new culture, new processes, new people, an extremely challenging project phase, and also, of course, a new place to live at. And this led to the case that I, I lost some part of my intuition and the formerly well-cultivated leadership skill sets and I would say needed an extension to remain effective. And that took a while, but I managed that and I can only advise everybody, don't be afraid of those situations. It will work out and you will grow. I think it's important to be open and curious then to look for help also and rely on your experts and find out who the experts are, of course. Focus on your main targets, build a strong network and then grow with your colleagues. I think that's and that's the key. And of course, in order to achieve all that, it is very important to, to reserve your time for learning and improving because it will need that. Yeah? And, and then it's important to team up with, with others. That's also very important to grow as a team. How much of your time is actually separated to learn to educate yourself? If that's any way possible to estimate somehow, what would you say? Yeah, I reserved several hours in my calendar, weekly calendar. I think something maybe eight hours a week. At least, usually half of it is overbooked with some other uh, other topics. But but still, there's a remaining part of my calendar uh, reserved, and this works. Yeah. Is that mainly on the technical basis, or is it sometimes also about leadership and let's say some additional skills? It's both, definitely both. Yeah, it's. It's, it's technical issues. How can we re improve our organization? It is, is it about uh, how, how, yeah, to, to learn certain leadership skills, to coach others, things, things like that. Yeah. So, and my last question of this premium panel is again for both of you. So what is your life motto? So my life motto is there's always a way. And in my, in my experience, no matter how desperate this, the business situation was, I think one always finds a solution for a given problem. So maybe except if you try to beat physics or uh, an infinitive source of subsidies like in solar 10 years ago. No, but seriously, one, one should never give up. And if you persist and there will be a new idea or unconventional solutions that bring you back on track bit by bit. And if you're feeling stuck, let's say, in a situation, what do you do usually? Is that a walk? Is that several hours of not doing anything for that project or maybe even several days? Or what, what do you do on the pragmatic way when you are stuck in a situation? It's definitely making a step back. And then there are several ways. So either having a chat with, with my colleagues or for running. Running is perfect for that, I think. Yeah, that, that are my two favorite ways of doing so. And especially running without music, no? so that you are alone with your thoughts. No? So that's, that's a challenge. Yes, always without music, yes. Yeah. No, that's good. Very, very nice. Learned a lot from, from your side, let's say, from your view also in the, the technical discussion as well. So really interesting. So, And for Tamara, now for you, the last question. So what is your life motto? That's that sustainable thinking can resolve any problem. 
Wow, you are very harmonic with each other. That's on a wall. Uh, mm-hmm. That's I really believe in this, and probably additional one is that not oh, use the opportunities. Look at the opportunities and use them. Uh, delaying things is entitlement and arrogance because it assumes that it could be later and it is not. There is now that we can and need to work on and to use it and to do our best, to do my best. There is only now. There it won't be next time that I can do better. Now I can do, I need to do everything I can, my best. Mm-hmm. We have actually in, in Russian, because we have both this uh, language background, so we say this, use the iron as long as it's hot. No? So <laughs> basically, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> use the opportunity when the opportunity arises. It's, there's no later. No? So I just jump on it and do. It is not like jump on opportunity. It's when there is an opening and opportunity, I need to do my best and use it because delaying it for later, it's an arrogance. It's feeling of entitlement that can maybe not be later. And there is no time like now to do things right, to do things in the right way to make it happen. And now it's also like the right time to be in that industry. I'm very happy that, uh, let's say, I'm exactly in that time here and that we can make some changes, that we can live life in this transformation phase where everything is happening, everything is kind of renewing and a lot of challenges but I mean a lot of enthusiasm and excitement as well so thank you very much thank you you both Tamara thank you Christian for being my guest in this premium panel it's really amazing to to see on a very transparent level let's say what kind of challenges you face every day be it in the development in the R&D work be it in the production in the scaling being on the material choice side, be it on the chip shortage, how you handle that. So software versus hardware and so on. So many topics that we really handled and also like more on the human level, having, let's say, the right skills in the people. Also collaboration, because collaboration is a lot about working with people and going along with people and expectation management and so on and so on. So Thank you so much for being such a transparent panelist with a lot of honesty and a lot of entertainment. I wish you all the best for your development and let's have a chat in at latest 2027 because we have to prove something exactly, right, Tamara? <laughs> I think we will talk earlier. I'm pretty sure we'll talk earlier. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting and I highly appreciate the chance to voice our view and the thinking from new technology in such a stellar group of car makers that are privileged to be in your company. Thank you, Ludmila, for bringing it together. Thank, thank you. you, Christian, for participation. Yeah, Ludmila, also from my side, thanks a lot for the opportunity to be part of this podcast. I really enjoyed it. Also, thank you. Thank you, Tamara. And it was really Nice chat. Also enjoyed that. Thank you for for choosing this topic. I think power electronics is really one of the most exciting topics now. It is one of the lifetime opportunity to be part of this transformation. And the world becomes more and more electrified. The power electronics is the crucial element. And and I just like to add, if you're a student or if you already work on software, hardware, systems engineering or related field, I can only advise you to consider switching to power electronics 
because that's there's a lot is going to happen in a very exciting field. And a lot is going to happen on that topic as well in our podcast. So please subscribe and listen to the episodes because there will be more episodes on the exactly that topic of power electronics. So there's more to come. There are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's just not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, the big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode.